that that's different than any other day. But I have a lot of words today. And I'm going to try not to use all of them. I'm going to try to focus on a particular section this morning and then move forward from that when, I, when we return. So we've been on this series, The Rise of Suns, for quite some time now, since October. And during the time, the reason for this series is this. It is important to me that the people of God know who they are. In fact, it's not just important to me. It's not nearly. In fact, I'll say it this way. And I don't mean it to sound <clears throat> ugly or distant. But it isn't, as a, however important it is to me, it's not nearly as important to me as it is to the Father that you know who you are. It's most important to Him that believers know who they are, what rights they have, to whom they belong, and why they belong to Him. It is so critical to Him that the whole earth and the glory of the Lord being revealed in all the earth outside of a rock, it depends on you knowing who you are. It's important if I rise up in the morning and when I go to bed at night, that I don't put my head down with this satisfaction only. I'm saved. It's important that I never settle with this thought in my mind. I'm born again. Because simply to be born again is just the beginning. To be saved is just the beginning. Now I realize, I know this because of my history. I know that that is the focal point of most messages around the world today. Not all. Around the uh, world churches today. Not all. They're going to begin and end their service with a message on salvation. They're going to begin and end their service with a message on being born again. I know that there are churches and there are people, many of them, that will conclude their services. They'll never conclude their services without giving an opportunity for people to come and to repent of their sins publicly. That's good. I think that's great. We don't do that every week. And some people have asked me in the past, why don't you do that every week? Because I believe this, and I'll tell you why today. Will we do it today? I don't know yet. Depends on how Holy Spirit leads. But I know this. When we come to visit Christ, when He is revealed in our hearts and our spirit. No amount of persuasion is going to encourage you to move into Him any more than you would on your own. In other words, when you come to the knowledge of Christ, when I was sitting on that back row of that church in Houston, Texas in 1985, it wasn't necessary that the preacher in that service said, if you want to know Jesus Christ, come to the altar. I was sitting on the back row of that very large church, listening to that man preach, and when I knew that Holy Spirit was moving in me, yes, I did move towards that altar, but it wasn't at that altar that I received Him. Because when I got to the altar, things began to happen that freaked me out, and I turned and I left the building. The youth pastor came out. I noticed you were walking down to, re to get saved, but you chose not to. Can you tell me why? Yeah, people were falling over. It was freaking me out. I don't get that. 
Well, would you come into the choir room and let me talk to you? And I went into the choir room and he began to talk to me and I prayed and I repented of my sins and my life has been changed ever since that date. I've been growing every day since. It doesn't matter to me whether people fall out and I don't or I do and they don't. Whether they pray in tongues and I don't or I do and they don't. It doesn't matter to me whether I shout and scream and and dance and throw my arms up and do all these. I'm a very, very animated worshiper. Whether I do and they don't, I don't really think about what other people are doing. I think about this is what I'm doing. This is how you're moving in me. And I'm really excited to let you know that I love how you're moving in me. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw up my hands and I'm going to express and I'm going to speak and I'm going to share and I'm going to lay down if I feel like I need to, kneel down, stand up, jump, twirl, spin. Whatever I need to do, I'm going to do that and I'm not going to care whether anybody likes it or doesn't. Except you. Except you. Because I want to grow and I want to know. So while some do and some don't, they give this appeal and, and what have you, I can tell you that I didn't need that appeal. I believe that this was true of me. I believe that as I sat on that back row in that church on that particular day, when I knew in my heart something was gripping me and saying, Steve, you are outside of the grace and the mercy, or you are outside of salvation, not grace and mercy, but you are outside of salvation today. And you're being invited in. Whether I had ever gone to that choir room or not, before I left that parking lot of that church, my heart was going to be right with God because He laid hold of me. And I've got news for you today. If you're under the sound of my voice, and you are, if you're hearing anything that I'm saying today, and you are, God has laid hold of you. He's already laid hold of you. Now it's whether or not you recognize the grip, the hand that has been laid upon you. Do I see it? And will I receive it? So this rise of sons for me has been a journey of trying to prepare you and me, remind us that need to be reminded or invite people in that have never known any difference into a place where it isn't just about being a good Christian that goes to church on Sunday and memorizes a few scripture or carries a Bible with them everywhere they go. Being a son is more than that. Being a son is knowing what has been laid up for me. Being a son is knowing who I am and the one who sent me. It's knowing that I didn't just come into this earth because my mama and daddy had a moment, but I came into the earth because I was sent. I came into the earth on purpose. Doesn't matter what it looked like. Doesn't look like It doesn't matter what my genesis was in the natural. What matters is God had a plan. God had a plan for me and He sent me on purpose. And He sent me because He believed in every sense of the word that when He sent me, He wasn't sending an orphan and He wasn't sending a vagabond and He wasn't sending an outcast. He was sending a son. In the same way that He sent Jesus Christ to redeem the world, believe what I'm about to tell you, He sent you to do the same. Now Jesus was sent to redeem you and me into right relationship with God. You and I have been sent to redeem the earth, to rule and reign. That's what the Bible says. We've been sent to rule and reign over this thing and to bring it back into the conformity of Christ. To bring it back into its original uh, intent and purpose. You and me. 
The problem with too much of the church today is because if we don't know that we're sons or we don't know what to be a son means, we simply move throughout our day, throughout our cities, throughout our neighborhoods, our homes, our jobs, our state, our country. We simply move in and out of our days and we move along believing as long as I know Christ, I'm good and I'm going to leave everything else up to Him. That's not the nature of a son. Now that's the nature of a believer. I believe God for me. But I'm going to leave the rest of it up to Him. But the nature of a son is the whole earth is my daddy's and everything in it. And if I'm not just a believer but I'm also a son and I recognize who my daddy is I'm going to exercise some authority that comes with being a son. And when I see what belongs to the Lord and everything in it being violated. I'm not going to act like it's okay. If someone is stealing my daddy's sheep, I'm going after the wolf. Are you hearing me this morning? If somebody's attacking my daddy's house, if someone is bringing deception in, I'm going after the witchcraft. Is anybody hearing me today? Something about being a son. Everybody say that with me. There's something. In fact, say it this way. There's something great about being a son. Now do this. Put your hands on yourself and say, Father, open my eyes and let me see. I want to understand. I want to grow. I'm not an orphan. I'm not a vagabond. I'm not an outcast, and I'm not a left behind. I'm a son. I'm a son. Amen. So I received a letter this past week from someone um, here in the house. I'll tell you who it was. It was Peter Renault. And Peter, I want to thank you for that letter. But I received a 15-page letter, two sides, single-space typed. It took me, Peter, it took me three days to read it, but it was wonderful. But I received, it was so good. So received this letter from Peter this week, and he added his personal insights on sonship, and he was sharing some things from, you know, his childhood and history and just the journey in his life as a, as a son of God, and, and he was sharing some of uh, what he had understood and didn't understand, and, and then some things that have been shared in here and, and how he viewed it and, and put it all together, things that both I've said and he knew and he had heard in his heart. And he put that together in this 15-page letter. It was funny because when I got the letter, I went to my mailbox and there's this letter in my mailbox, but it wasn't addressed. It just said, Steve Parker, Rise of Sons. And I thought, what in the world? Now, my first thought was, well, who's leaving the church? <laughs> because it's happened before. It's fair. And, uh, so, and I didn't know it was from him. And then I opened it up and the first thing I did was I went to the last page to find out who this... Who this <laughs> And I'll tell you why, because when I get those, if I get those, I haven't gotten one in a long time, and I'm glad that this one wasn't one, but I haven't gotten one in a long time, but when I would get those and I would realize if I read the first paragraph and I realized we just want to inform you that we'll be, we're going to be leaving, we didn't appreciate what you preached last Sunday or whatever, I don't read the rest. I just take them off the mailing list and 
go on, come in and preach next Sunday. So I went to the last page and I saw that it was Peter and then, uh, and then uh, my wife said, is it good or bad? <laughs> See, in ministry, you got to understand, in ministry, you, you begin to, I'm just being, I'm an open person. Yeah, I'm an open book, so I just talk out loud. So, you know, this is, this is just Steve. You know, what you see is what you get. And, uh, and I said, I don't know yet. I said, I'm, I just found out who it's from. And let me read the first couple paragraphs, and we'll know whether they will be with us anymore. And, um, and I began to read, and I was moved by so many things that Peter said, and I'm going to be addressing some of those this morning. I actually asked Peter if he would teach some of the things that he shared in the letter, and, um, but uh, he was more comfortable letting me address some of these things and I appreciate that. Thank you Peter for writing. Thank you for bringing that to me. I can't see where everybody's at it's, but uh, thank you um, and I appreciate it. I appreciate the revelation uh, that was in him which I often get. People will get, send me stuff, give me things and when we pray in the morning on Sunday mornings I'm, there's always an outpouring of perspectives and I love that and if you know me you know I do love that. But I'm going to refer to some of his input this morning as we continue this series, The Rise of Sons. And he made several points of which I want to address to some degree, but there's one statement that I want to quote verbatim that he put in that letter that I thought, uh, along with so many other things that he said, but this one I want to quote. Uh, it's, it's profoundly true. It says, quote, You know God encrypts things on so many levels because it is meant only for those whose heart is in the right place and have eyes to see and ears to hear. What Proverbs 25.2 is saying is, God is truth. Seek the truth and you shall find it, meaning Him. And then you will know who you are, your true identity, a child of God, a son, royalty. And the truth will set you free if you know that the Father is your daddy, and you are your daddy's son. I added that part. And the truth shall set you free, meaning after this transformation, you are no longer a slave. Well put. Well said. I can tell you today that when we began this series in, uh, we began this series in Malachi 1 back in October, and Yahweh's word to Malachi was a word concerning the people of Israel. And he was not pleased with, well, just basically, I'm just going to generalize it. He was not pleased with their ways, and he lets them know why in Malachi 1, actually all of Malachi, lets them know why he's not pleased with their ways. But here's the thing. Here's the profound part of Malachi, Malachi verses one, uh, chapters 1 through 4. He begins to deal with the people of Israel in chapter 1. I'm, I'm summarizing. Yahweh yeah, uses Malachi to speak to the uh, children of Israel as a whole, generally speaking. But he goes on as you dive further into Malachi. He says, You're, I'm upset with you. We're going to read it in a minute. I'm angry with you. But this is why. It really falls on the preacher. Because the priests have come up short. They have not been truthful with you. They have not told you the whole story. They've withheld things. I was sharing this morning... With the church that I got saved in, I, re, I remember this vividly, and I was considering, thinking about it this morning as I was preparing to come in from my house. And I was remembering back when I got saved in 1985, and, and I ended up living with the um, pastor and his family for some time. And during the time that I ended up living with them, 
on Saturday nights, every Saturday night, I have this vivid memory. I could be sitting at the dining room table with a cup of coffee and the pastor of the church would come out with a box full of sermons. And he would set the box on the table full of sermons and he would peruse that box of sermons until he found one that he would feel like, oh, this, is, this will be really good for tomorrow. And the sermon might be dated from five years ago or ten years ago or a year ago or whatever. But he would pull out this sermon that was a regurgitated word from a long time ago that may no longer hold its power. May no longer hold within it the anointing to do the work that the Father sent it to do originally. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? But I didn't know any different. I was newly saved. They took me in. I sat at that table and I watched him do this. And then some years later when... I knew I was called into ministry and I went into evangelism and, and traveled and, and I was going to different churches in the first year or two that I was evangelizing. I did the same thing because that's what I learned. So I had these messages that were routine messages that were good and I knew that were, uh, people would get saved if I preached these messages. So I would write these particular messages. One in particular was titled, When Blood is, thicker, when blood is Not Thicker Than Water. And, and I would preach that everywhere I went. And I would preach that everywhere I went for this reason. Just bear with me. Don't count me as a loss. Um, don't be disturbed. Um, this is where I was. I'm not there anymore. But I would preach that because every time I would preach that particular message, many, many people would come and give their heart to the Lord. So I came to this conclusion. Within this message... God is really releasing something incredible to these people. So no matter what church I was in this week, when I went to the church the next week, I knew that on Sunday night, it had to be Sunday night, because the people that came on Sunday night really wanted to be there. So on Sunday night, I was going to preach when blood is not thicker than water. I could recite that whole thing to you right now. I won't, but I could. The meaning is still true. But the anointing is only present at its appropriate scent time. So I preached that over and over and over again. And I had many messages that I would do that same thing because that's what I had learned. And then I remember one day when I was preparing to go to another church and I was getting ready. I was at the hotel. I was getting ready to leave and I was getting ready to go to whatever church I was going to. I don't remember where it was. I'm getting ready to go to that church. And Holy Spirit, in my heart, I heard Holy Spirit say, not today. Man, you just messed me up because I don't have anything else. <laughs> this is what I've got. I learned that you pull it out of the box. And if it worked then, it will work now. That's what I learned. So you're messing me up if you're telling me not today. So in my heart, I'm having this little argument with the Holy Ghost. And I'm just really having a hard time. You know what? People will get saved with this. If you make me preach something else, no, they might not get saved. And then I have this thought. How many really did get saved? Are they still there? Was it just an emotional moment? Or was it a life moment? And I'm having this dialogue. Ultimately, he won. And I put together something. I don't remember even what it was. And I preached it. I never again preached another service evangelizing every single week, three, four, five days a week in different church. I never preached the same thing twice. Never did. Every time I would get up every day and I would say, Holy Spirit, what now? What now? 
And I'd go into that service and I would unloose, uh, release that word, whatever it was that He had given me for that time. Now there were times when Holy Spirit would say, Steve, I want you to go back to this message for this house this day. And then I would bring that at some point later. But almost never did that ever happen. It just wasn't His way. In this house, 24 years ago, when we had our first service in our living room at 779 Superior Street in Deltona, Florida, and those few of us that were gathered in that living room in that day, and we're sitting there, the message I preached that day, in my house first, I've never preached again. It's never been, now I may have addressed something in that, but I've never preached it again because he's never told me to preach that again. Has there been things that would be similar to that? Maybe so. But with the right anointing, the right time, the right purpose. Because God is not a God that is limited in His ability to release revelation. He's so profoundly endless. Endless. For me to say I'm going to pull this thing out of a box and regurgitate this over and over again because it worked last time, it's going to work again. But what is the work that it's doing? I want the Father to do whatever. If the work calls for 50 people to come to the front and bow in their faces and worship the Lord, so be it. But if the work calls for not one person to rise up, but every person to sit in their seat and contemplate what they just heard and what Holy Spirit is doing in their heart and take it to their home and say to their wives and their husbands and their children, this is the way it's going to be. I heard the voice of God today. And the only people that ever know are the people that are gathered around that table. So be it. So be it. So, Yahweh is dealing with these folks and He's speaking, He's using Malachi and He says, I want you to tell Israel this and I want, you to, I want, the, I want the priests to understand it's because they're afraid to open their mouths. They're, they don't know who they are. So if the leadership doesn't know who they are, there's no way the people are going to know who they are. So Malachi begin to address them. I encourage you to read all of Malachi. We're not going to do it today. We're just going to read the first four, three chapters. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to read part of Malachi 1. Let's read it. Yahweh was not pleased with their ways, and he lets them know why. Peter again, Peter Renault, I want you to know again how thankful I am that you sent that to me. I'll be addressing some of the comments that you made in that letter over the next few weeks. But today we're going to talk about birthright. We're going to begin by moving, I want to use the word slowly, but I don't know if that's the right word, but we're going to move into uh, carefully into an understanding of birthright today, very shallow, and we're going to get a little deeper as we go over the next couple of weeks. But Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 says this, says the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. Let me read that part again. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. He said, I've loved you, says the Lord. But you folks say, but how have you loved us? He said, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob. I've loved Jacob. But Esau I've hated. It was funny because Peter, when he was referring to this particular passage, he mentioned in there, he said, he said, now, you know, it's interesting, and if you think about it from this perspective, it really does give you dimension on the, uh, the depth of that statement. And he, he said, I don't know, is there anybody that Yahweh hate is a big word? 
And he specifically points it at a, an individual. What could an individual possibly do? Yahweh was displeased with people. This is what Peter was saying in there and pointing out. He was displeased with many people, many generations, many tribes. He was displeased. But how many did he hate? He hated Esau. I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we... we I can't read. We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says. They may build, but I'm going to tear it down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, I feel like I know you, most of you, well enough to know none of us want to be hated. Not by our neighbor, not by people that we know or don't know. None of us want to be hated. I don't want to be hated. If I know that somebody hates me, I want to know in my mind, is there something I can do to heal the hatred? Why do they hate me? What have I done that's caused them to hate me? Is there something I can do to repair that, to mend that? If not, so be it. But if there is... Let's work it out. We don't want to be hated. We want to be loved. In the natural. But spiritually, what about the Father? Do we want to be loved by the Father? How deeply do we want to be loved by the Father? Do you want it to be said of you by the Father? I love you. And I love you. And I love you. And I love you. None of us. Want to see the Father's finger in our face and say, I love you, but... I'm going to point away from anybody in here. But you I hated. I loved you, but you I hate. Why did Yahweh love one and hate another? What would cause him to hate? Is it simply a misinterpretation of words in the Scripture? No, something occurred, something happened that made the Father realize, you do not deserve what I have for you. You have gone so far to position yourself outside of my ability to love you. What was that? Let me define something first. Birthright defined as any privilege, any right or privilege to which Someone is entitled to by birth, such as an estate descendable by law to an heir. Yahweh hated Esau because Esau counted his birthright of no value. Think of it. Think on it. Esau counted his birthright of no value. Hebrews 12, 15 and 16 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Everybody say, Yahweh loved Jacob, but hated Esau. Esau counted his birthright as no value. 
I want to say something to you and me today, and I'm not trying to condemn people. My words are never meant to bring condemnation. They're meant to bring clarity. They're meant to stir up, meant to cause all of us, including me, to want to press in deeper to know who we are. So let me say this today. Let me just ask a question. I'll just do it this way. I wonder, I'm going to make a statement. I wonder, because I don't even want you to answer in your head, but I wonder how many of us have sold our birthright. See, Esau was born of God. God sent him. He didn't just happen to be. God sent Esau. And God sent Esau with purpose. In fact, God sent Esau to be born first. Before Jacob. It was purposed. But Esau did not recognize his place. He didn't recognize what the father wanted to release to him. Esau did not recognize that all of the kingdom belonged to Esau. So when he thought of it, it was just like, I don't need this. I'm, gonna, I'm just, I'm hungry. Man, my stomach's growling. Just give me something simple. So give me, what do you got? A little bowl of soup? Give me that soup and I'll give you my birthright. Here it is. You can have whatever you want. Somebody might say, well, he might have been starving. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to the grave with my birthright. You need to say that with me. Say, I'm going to the grave with my birthright. No, you need to say it again. Say, I'm going to the grave. With my birthright. No rush, by the way. <laughs> ma'am, what's your name? Yes, ma'am, right? Yes, ma'am. Laureen? Doreen? Have you been here before? It's hard for me to see in here, so if, if I've <laughs> met you, I'm, I apologize. I just see basically shadows out here. But Doreen... He sent you. Do you believe it? He sent you. Who's this gentleman sitting beside you? Your brother? What's your name? Say it again. Jobar? Jovan. Oh, yeah, I've met you guys. That's what happens. Have you ever met me? <laughs> What's my name? He sent you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Why? Why did he send you? Did he send you empty? Let me say, you know, in fact, don't answer because I don't want to put you on the spot. But I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Did he send you empty? Did he send you empty? Did he send you with purpose? Jenny? Did he send you with purpose? Did he send you empty? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer. Denise, did he send you empty? Did he send, you don't have to answer. Did he send you on purpose? Yes. I can't see everybody's faces, so I can't. I'm trying to call out people I can see, see you. Chris, I can barely make you out. Did he send you empty? What did he send you with? What else? Birthright. An inheritance. What happens 
When we are sent into the earth and we come into this earth and the Father sends us and, and He has so much potential and so much hope and so much dream, so much vision for you and me and He sends us and we walk the earth and we're happy to be believers. But never become sons. We're happy simply to be born again but never become sons. We're happy to have a few scriptures memorized, but we never become sons. We're happy to know how to lift our hands and sing, but we never become sons. There's a deeper place than just singing. There's a deeper place than lifting up our hands. There's a deeper place than simply being born again. Esau was of God, but he forfeited what he was sent with. He forfeited what belonged to him. And I wonder how many Christians today are walking the face of the earth today believing, man, the inheritance is mine, but they've never become a son. They don't even know it yet. I wonder how many Christians, how many believers, how many born-again folks today are walking the face of the earth believing they have an inheritance and yet there's nothing laid up for them. You're saying, ooh. Is that even possible? Absolutely. Esau counted his birthright of no value. Sonship and inheritance were simply not important to Esau. And why do I say that about believers today in the world? That there's an inheritance laid up that they'll never experience. I'm going to tell you why. Because we give it away too easily. We give away our birthright so easily. In a moment of compromise, we're too quick to go with what's easy. In fact, without, I'm not going to mention names because I don't know what names would fit. I'm just going to say it. How many have given up their birthright for a bottle? How many in the church world have given up their birthright for somebody else's wife or husband? How many exchange their inheritance trying to be somebody else's purpose? Is anybody hearing me in this room this morning? See, it wasn't important to Esau. Esau looked at this thing and he said, you know what I know? I know what this thing is. This is simply a piece of, uh, an idea, a thought, you know, but I don't know if I can live this thing out. I don't even know if I can uphold this. I don't know if I have the strength to do it. And all the while the father's saying, Esau, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it until you give it up. The father's calling you and me back to a place where we understand we have a birthright. Put your hands on yourself. Say, I have a birthright. Oh, man, yes, you do. Esau was also called Edom in Genesis 25, 30. It says, what is it? He was, and he was obstinate towards God. Obstinate means stubbornly adhering to an opinion, purpose, or course in spite of reason, arguments, or persuasion. I want to read again back here in, in Malachi chapter 1. He says, Yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. But Edom says, We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. In other words, do what you will. I may have given up my birthright, but I'm still living. 
So I'm laying claim, even though it may not belong to me, I'm still laying claim to something that I have not positioned myself rightfully for. Tear it down if you want to. Guess what, God? Obstinate me, I'm going to rebuild it. I'll show you. I'm going to do this the way I want to do it, God. I'm going to live this life the way I want to live this life. If I want to sell my birthright for a bowl of soup, I'm going to sell it for a bowl of soup. Whatever I want to do, it's mine. You gave it to me. I can do what I want with it. And the father's saying all along, he's saying, Esau, you don't get it, son. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. Your birthright has more to do with what's coming than where you are. Right now, you're so concerned about the growl that you hear, the noise you hear in your hungry gut. But I'm more concerned about the people that will be impacted by your ability if you will trust me with what I've aligned for you. There's this sense, I've said this before, but there's a story, it's a funny story. It's a story about a a mother and a child in a church service and they're singing and they're in this service and they stand and they sit and they stand and they sit. We've done that in here before, a time or two. They'll stand, they'll sit, they'll stand, they'll sit. Well, they get to a place and the preacher stands up and he says, okay, everybody please stand. We're going to sing one more song. Everybody please stand. Well, the child was tired of standing and sitting and standing and sitting, so the child was determined, I'm going to sit down, I'm not getting up. And mama looks over at that child and says, you better stand up. You know, like every good mama does. The child just looks at that mama, stays seated. Mama says, you better stand up. child just looks at her. Stay seated. The last time mama does her eyes just right, says, you better stand up right now. And that child stands up and he said, I may be standing on the outside, but I'm sitting on the inside. That's obstinance. That's saying to the father, I'm going to do everything as close as I can to sonship. But on the inside, I'm doing everything I want. On the outside, I'm going to get close. But on the inside, I'm going to do whatever I want. Yahweh loved Jacob because Jacob, while a heel grabber, understood the importance of the birthright and what goes with it. Jacob wanted it. Jacob was like, in fact, here's this boy. It gets deeper than this as we go along, but we're not going to get there today. But here's this boy, young man, teenager, young adult, all through different stages of his life, watching his brother, who he knows is the heir, who he knows possesses the birthright. All the while, here's Jacob, knowing Man, I wish that were me. In his own mind, more than the couple times that we have reference to, no doubt there were times more than that, where he was considering ways, where might I get the birthright? Now we might say, and we would say, we would look at Jacob and we would say, man, that's, 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 I mean, that's, that's not good. He's jealous for something that doesn't belong to him. But this is the point. The point isn't whether he's jealous for something that doesn't belong to him. The point is this. He wanted something. 
He understood the value. He understood the value of the birthright. I know who I am. I'm a son. And a son with birth with a birthright has the whole inheritance. So what belongs to my daddy, he understood this, whatever belongs to my daddy also belongs to me. And Jacob didn't want to just be a boy in the family. Let me use a term we can relate to nowadays. Jacob just didn't want to be the believer. He wasn't happy just being a good Christian. It wasn't good enough for him simply to show up to church on Sunday, lift his hands during worship. Jacob wanted to dive deep. Jacob wanted to find how can I become, how can I get to the next level? I want to be a son of God. I want to lay hold of a birthright that provides for so much we'll get to later. But I want to get a hold of that birthright that makes way for so much more than I have right now. What does that mean for you and me? This series for me is about you and me. It's about us rising to the level, to the place where simply being a good Christian isn't enough. Now listen, everybody, you're you're under the sound of my voice, you're in this room, you're watching online today, wherever you are, Wherever you might be, you might be new here, you might be older here, whatever it might be. But simply being a good Christian just isn't enough. In fact, I would even go so far as to say this. Being a good Christian, for some of you, is suffering. Because you don't know the prize. And we're proud of ourselves because we go to church on Sunday. We're proud of ourselves because we worship. We're proud of ourselves because we're faithful with our tithe and our offering. We're proud of ourselves because we serve in the house. We're proud of ourselves because whatever. We're proud of ourselves for those things, but we have not risen to the level yet of sons. So in our... Pride that we are good church members. We're in our pride that we're good believers, in our pride that we're good Christian, in our pride that we've received Christ, in our in our arrogance that that's all that there is. In our conclusion that we come to that this is all that He's going to give me. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to say, you know what? I love you, God. You're amazing. But I'm just going to keep suffering through all of this stuff that I suffer through because that's the way it is for a Christian. Sonship isn't that way. Just being a good Christian doesn't give you hope. Being a good Christian, the best I can hope for is I make it to next Sunday. But being a son, the hope I have is the inheritance that comes at the end of today and the end of tomorrow and the end of the next day and the next day and the next day. 
rising to the level of sonship. When I begin to understand, He sent us, I can see you now, He sent us on purpose. I can see you now, Shonda. I can see you now, Chris. He sent us on purpose. And He didn't send me as somebody that can have just a little bit of who He was. I was going through my some of my files yesterday at the house, and we're, you know, we've been moving in, getting settled, and I was going through some of the files. I found some funny things. But I found one of my report cards from the fourth grade, Mrs. Olson. And I was looking through the report card, and, and we've digitized pretty much everything, but I was looking through my fourth grade report card, and I found it kind of funny in there because, you know, some of the comments that were on there, she said... Um, you know, they, they, the teacher writes comments to the parents, and she wrote a comment to my mother. My mom was watching this morning, and she, she probably remembers this, but uh, I did not. For me, I was innocent. But um, she writes in there, she said, it would be helpful if Steve would stop being so disruptive in class. He seems to have a lot to say. <laughs> and I thought, as I'm looking at that report card yesterday, wow, I'm still that way. <laughs> But I'm going through these files and I'm going through all of these things and one of the things that I did when I was going through these files was I reviewed mine and Kim's will and all of our the information that we had a will done back a couple of years ago or renewed, updated. And I'm going through all of that and, and I'm looking through that will and the letter that I had written to my family that's in there to make sure it still says everything that I want it to say and I'm reading through. That's kind of morbid. It sounds morbid. It's not morbid. But I'm reading through all of that, and I, and, I'm, and I realize, you know, as I look through that will, you know what I left to my family? Everything. Except for the tithe that will go to the church out of that will. Or go to this church, go to the rock. But I also realize this. They don't have to wait. My oldest is 30. My youngest is 25. They don't have to wait until right. we're on. gone to enjoy the inheritance. Amen. They enjoy it every day That's right. because there's nothing that we have that we do not make available to our kids. Nothing. You know why? Because they're sons. Now, sometimes there's times we want to say, okay, that's enough. Enough is enough. No more candy. But nothing we would withheld, withhold. So you know, when I speak to you and to me, to us today, when Holy Spirit speaks to us and we talk about birthright, we're going to dive into it a little deeper as we go along here in the next couple weeks. But just as an opening salvo this morning, you need to understand this. We're sons. At least we were sent to be sons. That's why we were sent. But I want to encourage you to do this. Ask yourself, what have you traded for sonship? What have you traded for your inheritance? What have you traded for your birthright? 
And don't even stop at asking yourself, but ask Holy Spirit to show you. Father, Holy Spirit, show me. What do I trade for my birthright? Because I want to be found in you as I am meant to be. And if in me there's ever been a selling or a trading outside of your purpose, forgive me. If in me there's ever been neglect or a lack of attention to how significant the birthright is in my place in you, forgive me. Open my eyes and let me see. Open my ears and let me hear. We sang about it this morning. I read the quote from Peter earlier. Let me see what I've not seen. Let me hear what I've not heard. But when we come to Him and we're simply good Christians, there's a wall you're going to run into. Because there are hidden places in the Father that only the children have access to. Oh, but I am a child of God. I received Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. But you, don't you want to get the inheritance? Don't you want it all? Not from greed. Not a greedy thing. But an understanding knowing when I rise to that level of sonship, Father, I trust you. And my voice becomes a testimony. We were talking about it this morning. I become a witness. See, good Christians can hide that Christianity. Sons cannot. Esau could have tried all he wanted to to hide the birthright from Jacob. He could have never hidden it because it was obvious. You came into this thing, you were sent as the firstborn. You have the birthright. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, if I don't even look at you, I know that you have the birthright, but I want to achieve, I want to attain that. I want to walk in that. We give up, Shelby, so much. We give up so much. Because we trade so easily our purpose for the pleasure of the day. We give up so much potential, Midiana, because we trade so easily our inheritance, our promise, our calling, our purpose, our birthright. We trade it, trade it so easily. For a passion that's not aligned with Him. So what am I saying by all that? I'm saying this. This is the, as I said, the salvo into the birthright. And I hope you'll be coming the next few weeks to hear the rest of it. But I want to tell you, this is the salvo as we enter in. But I'm telling you this today. I hope that in this house today, whether you're visiting or you're a part of this place, I hope you'll keep coming and keep hearing. Because I want you to know today that wherever you are, There's more. You might be saying my relationship with Him seems dry. Again, without judgment, without condemnation. It's only because you've forgotten who you are in Him. You've lost sight of what He's called you to. But you don't understand the environment I live in, the environment I work in. It's impossible to be a believer. It's not impossible to be a believer. It's not impossible to be a Christian. And it's not impossible to be a son. 
no matter where you are. We were talking about it this morning, the three Hebrew children. My daughter was speaking of them. And before they went in that fire, they said, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what happens. We're going to honor him. I love Job's words. Whether he slay me, whatever happens, or whether I live, whatever happens, I'm going to trust the Lord. I love Daniel's reaction. You can throw me into those li- that lion's den all you want to. You can throw me in. At the end of the day, it's all tied up in God. Why? Because I'm not just a child of God. I'm a son of God. And you need to get that in your mind today. Just being a child isn't enough. See, ch- children are very immature. But you come to the place where there's sonship. I am a son. And my surroundings do not determine my relationship with Him. I determine by my relationship with Him what my surroundings look like. So I'm not going to trade anything. If you're in here this morning, Steve Parker, man, I'm hearing what you're saying. It's a little bit beyond me. It's right in the middle of where I'm at. Whatever it might be, wherever you might find yourself today, this is my hope and my prayer today. As I begin to share this word about the birthright, begin to talk about Malachi and why the Father used Malachi to speak to the children of Israel and then used Malachi to speak to the priests and to the leadership. Part of the reason most people, whether in this room or watching online today, don't know who they are in God is because leadership in the churches haven't been talking about it because they're afraid or they don't know. So they don't talk about it. One thing you're going to find about the Rock Central Florida, I promise you, if if the Father gives us revelation, if He gives us understanding of Scripture, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it a lot. Until we've talked and said everything there can be said about it that we know of, that He's given us. So Father, I lift my voice. Stand with me in this house if you would please this morning. I lift my voice over these people. I lift my voice over these men, these women, each one, young, old, in between, whoever they are, new, been here a long time, been here a short time. Father, I lift my voice today. And I pray that you cause our eyes to see and you cause our ears to hear. Let there be a sense in all of us, a rising up in all of us, to get beyond simply being a good believer, a good Christian. But let our mind and our words be transformed to the point where we understand we're not meant to be children, but we're meant to be sons. Sons and daughters. And that we have an inheritance. And sons guard the inheritance. They guard the inheritance. Wherever people might be today, whether in this building or online, Father, I pray for them. I pray that you change us. I pray that if there's any that don't even know you, they're none of those things. They're not a believer. They're not a Christian. They're not a son. They're none of those things. I pray today that, Father, you, like you did me back in 1985, I pray today that you will convict, you will stir, and you will cause them to speak to you, to repent to you. Bring us to a place of sonship where there is no compromise, 
no room for compromise in us. Sons believe. They don't require faith because they come past faith. They've got into a place of believing and knowing. We know. We know who we are. Today, Father, do your work. Do your work. And we glorify you today. We honor you today. We honor you today. Come on, put your hands up this morning. Father, we lift our hands. We acknowledge that you are God and there is not another. We thank you that your words in us, they stir us, they provoke us, they cause us to draw closer to you. They, they cause us to think, to consider all that you want to do and release to us. In each of us today, wherever we may find ourselves, whatever the level of our understanding might be today, in each of us, may there be a growth. May there be a coming up. May our minds be renewed today so that we think like you think and understand like you do so the hidden things are revealed, the secret things are made known. Father, I thank you. I thank you. You are a good God. You are a good and a faithful God. Hallelujah. 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 I bless you, Almighty God. I bless your name today. I remember, as I've shared before, but I remember the time that I went from a place of being just a person who was happy with the thought and idea that I had received Christ. I remember a time that I went from a place of just being happy knowing that I'd received Christ to being hungry to receive His kingdom as well. Because when he came to us, he didn't come only as a body that hung on a tree and came out of the grave. He came to us full of the kingdom of his Father. Full. He didn't bring just a natural body to the earth so that we could know a natural man. He came full of the power and anointing of God. He came full of the kingdom of God, came full of all the inheritance. He said, everything I know about my Father, I want to make known to you. He came with all of that, wanting to release it to us. For you and me, our responsibility is, I'm going to position myself, Jenny, to see and to hear, to go beyond where I am, to not be satisfied, to not settle. Young people, don't you ever settle. You 
lay hold of every, if God put it in your heart, lay hold of it. Lay hold of it. No matter what's going on around you, if He put it in your heart, lay hold of it. We're depending on you to clean up what so many of our generation has messed up. there's a part I just want to jump into so bad and I'm not going to but I want to jump in so bad Father I thank you today I thank you today thank you Father thank you Father thank you Father Father.